This is Graham McNamee speaking to you from our nation's capital, where upwards of 150,000 cheering Americans are gathered to hear President Coolidge award the Distinguished Flying Cross to the handsome young aviator, Charles Lindbergh. This is the largest network broadcast in the history of radio, linking 50 stations in 24 states, coast to coast. Over 12,000 miles of telephone wire. NBC estimates today's audience to be at least 30 million people from New York City to Seattle, Washington. And uh, here comes the motorcade up Pennsylvania Avenue. Here's the boy himself. Here's Lindy. There's, there's a little droop to his shoulders. He's very serious, tired out, and awfully nice. Why don't you listen, Andy? Hey, is you gonna shut up or is I gonna kick you out of the courtroom? The more you talk, the worse off I is. Now, Brown, you can occasionally use the expression, I don't remember. Don't make it noticeable, but occasionally say, I don't remember. Uh -huh. Now, don't forget that. Now, what are you going to say? Now, don't forget that. What no, are you no. doing out you there, You don't Howard? remember. Oh, Can you hear the right. show? Can I hear it? No, no. Come I outside a minute, remember. Minnie. What do you want? What? No, no. This is amazing. Listen. Turn you off the radio. Remember. Come out on the porch. Who is my lawyer? Turn it off? Yes, now, please. Just Minnie. Just say, oh, I don't right. remember. What could be so important that I have to do? Listen. Isn't it? Yes, it's on everywhere, honey. It's on every radio in the neighborhood. Isn't it amazing, sweetheart? Everybody's listening to the radio, and they're all hearing the same thing. When people around here say the radio, they don't mean a cabinet, an electrical phenomenon, or a man in a studio. They refer to a pervading and somewhat godlike presence which has come into their lives and homes. Radio? Sure, it's got an audience. Monks in monasteries, taxis and traffic jams, solitary lightships tossing on stormy seas, trappers snowbound in winter, baseball fans, college presidents, babes in arms, and bedridden veterans. Surveys. Surveys. Ratings. Historically, the facts about radio are distressingly simple. Because the programs were there, people listened. Because they listened, the programs were there. Ratings. Say, folks, if you all out there like this program, me and Andy hope that you let our sponsor know. Just ask for Pepsi Dem mouthwash next time you go shopping at your friendly neighborhood store. Mm-hmm. I was going to use some right now. <laughs> Say, have you got some of that mouthwash they talk about on Amos and Andy? Pepsodent mouthwash. Yes, I'll have a bottle, yeah, too, please. Me, too. Yes, have me. Well, is that your last bottle of Pepsodent? How can I be your last bottle? Oh, Come on. Well, when are you going to get yeah. some more? Yeah. Sorry. 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 Yes, it's on order. Uh, sorry. Listen, can't somebody ask those boys to stop talking about this stuff? I can't keep a bottle on the shelf. I reported earlier that the Chinese government disappeared. Zhao Jiesheng, 
a prominent human rights lawyer, right? They disappeared him for 13 months and brought him back a broken man, right? Well, it appears that he's vanished again. Associates said Mr. Gao failed to return to a Beijing apartment on April 20th after spending more than a week in Urumqi, the capital of the Xinjiang region in western China, where he had been visiting his father-in-law. Mr. Gao telephoned his father-in-law as his plane left Umqi, saying he would call upon his arrival in Beijing. That appeared to be his last contact with the outside world. He was obviously kidnapped by state thugs right off the airplane. You see, you don't even have to have bombs in your shoes to get picked off an airplane in China. Just being a human rights lawyer is enough to be classified as an enemy of the state. Others said they were sure that the government had again removed him from public view and that the authorities' earlier decision to allow him to resurface briefly had been a ploy to try to demonstrate to the outside world that he had not been mistreated. But the South China Morning Post, based in Hong Kong, which first reported Mr. Zhao's disappearance, said in an article that he had been quite outspoken during an April 6th interview in his Beijing apartment, despite the near certainty that security agents were recording his conversation. He had asked the details of his tr- treatment by the authorities while in captivity not be made public. If this is reported, he was quoted as saying, I'll disappear again. Prescient, huh? Well... How do I get China out of my life? I have real trouble with the way the American government is dealing with so-called terrorists. And I'll be talking about Mr. Obama's role in that subsequently. But China, flagrant state thugs, this is the worst. So how do I get China out of my life? If I, as I said before, no problem going into the grocery store. Now, not much from China here in the fresh food, you know, but go into a clothing store. Try to get a T-shirt, pair of pants, a belt, anything that's not made in China. You have to look long and hard. Same with if you go into these, uh, you know, go into a, an equipment store, electronic equipment store. Why? Look, this uh, color television HTV is only three dollars because it was made in China by prisoners or something like it. I got to get China out of my life. I'm going to try and figure out a way to do it. And when I do, I'm going to hip you to it. Well, Peter, I found an obit. I always read the the older I get, the more I read the obituary columns. I'm always happy when uh, somebody uh, surpasses me by many, many years. And uh, Doris E. Travis, the last of the Ziegfeld girls, oh my. passed away at the age of uh, 106. Boy, dancing in a chorus line is you know, good, for, good for long living. And here's just a little bit from Douglas Martin's wonderful uh, uh, obit of this lady. Mrs. Travis may have been the youngest Ziegfeld girl ever, having lied about her age to begin dancing at 14. She was part of a celebrated family of American stage performers known as the Seven Little Eatons. George Gershwin played on her family's piano, and Charles Lindbergh dropped by for tea, meaning Prohibition cocktails. After three years with the Ziegfeld Troupe, Mrs. Travis went on to perform in stage productions and silent films. In 1938, in Detroit, she opened the first Arthur Murray dance studio outside of New York, and she eventually owned 18 Murray Studios in Michigan. Mrs. Travis never stopped performing. In 2008, at age 104, 
She danced at the Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS annual Easter benefit, something she started doing in 1998. And, and, and here's the other thing, okay? This woman had, had a love life. I mean, we're talking about Broadway, classic Broadway. In 1926, she joined the Hollywood Music Box Review. Okay. Ooh, that was a big, a hot big show pattern after the Follies. And while appearing in the show, she fell in love with the songwriter, Nasio Herb Brown, who wrote Singing in the Rain oh my. with Arthur Freed. Uh, and it was she, Mrs. Travis, said she was the first to sing it, surrounded by a chorus of eight men. Mrs. Travis's relationship with Mr. Brown lasted intermittently for eight years, but never led to marriage. Mr. Brown himself married five other women, all told. All at the same time. Divorcing all, all of them. Of them. All now, at once. Now, if she started dancing at 14, and she was one of the early uh, Ziegfeld girls, then mm-hmm. she knew my cousin, the second or third cousin, Barney Bernard. Barney. Barney was in the early Ziegfeld Follies with Mae West and probably with Miss Travis. Barney uh, was Barney Bergman. Okay, and uh, he lived in Ironton, Ohio. My grandfather, Abe Bergman, uh, had a store, a men's store in Chillicothe, Ohio. And when Barney started getting real kind of like, uh, I want to dance, I want to sing, which is unheard of in a family, they said, we're going to send you off to Abe's store and you're going to learn a trade. What they didn't know is that my grandfather had been a minstrel in New York. He was an end man at Tony Pastor's in the Sitting Bull show. So during the day, Barney was taught the haberdashery business, and at night, Abe taught him to dance and play the bones. And then, <laughs> a year later, he gave him $50, which was a huge amount of money in 1906 or 1907, and said, go try it out. You know, And he ended up in the Ziegfeld Follies, and then he be- then he went into silent film. He was a huge hit on Broadway. There was a show called Potash and Perlmutter after Ashley Montague's big hit book about two Jewish guys in the in the uh, garment trade, and he played Abe Potash. And it was it was a huge hit. There was a second hit called Partners Again. And then he died at the, in 1920 at an early age of a heart attack. <laughs> 